Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Eternal life, sometimes when we think of it, we think of it just in the sense of duration. We think of eternal life as life that goes on endlessly, but it's more than that. Because we receive life not just in the future when we die, but we receive that life in the present. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, in a message titled, The Joy of the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So our theme, as I think most of us know, as we journey through this Gospel of John, is life in his name. And this phrase is taken from John's purpose statement found in the 20th chapter. And we've been just reminding ourselves of that each week, but let me quote it again. These things, John says, are written. First, he says many other things Jesus did in the presence of his disciples that haven't been recorded, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John writes this gospel with this intent that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that in believing in him and in receiving him, that we would have life in his name. And and that life that he's referring to there is, of course, what we would commonly speak of as eternal life. But eternal life, sometimes when we think of it, we think of it just in the sense of duration. We think of eternal life as life that goes on endlessly, and it is that, but it's more than that. Because we receive life not just in the future when we die, but we receive that life in the present. And receiving that life in the present, it translates into what Jesus would call abundant life or life to its fullest. And so what we want to to look at today, specifically, we want to zero in on this first miracle or sign that Jesus did and see through this how life is communicated to us. The life of God is communicated to us through this first miraculous event. So the story which tells us about the first miracle, or as John calls it, the first sign that Jesus did, it gives us a glimpse. That's the point that I want to make. What we're getting here is a glimpse into what life in his name looks like. And I'll give you a hint right up front that life 
that Jesus comes to give is not boring, it's not passionless or depressing. It's something glorious. And we will come back to that ultimately. But first, let's walk through the passage that we read today together, looking first of all at the first five verses. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. So many have asked, what on the third day of what? All of a sudden, we're at a third day. Why is John referring to the third day? Or, or what is he even talking about? So it seems, it's, it's a little point. It's not, there's not anything major about it. But just so we get some, some clarity, it seems that it's the third day after the things that we've been reading about. So what, what had happened previously, uh, Jesus had started to make his journey toward Galilee with Philip, Nathaniel, Andrew, Simon Peter, and John. And so now it's the third day into that journey they arrive at Cana. Now, Cana was a small town like so many of those Galilean towns were, and it was on the road between Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee. So we know Jesus, his place of residence initially was Nazareth, and then he would ultimately make his base of operation in Capernaum. Capernaum sits literally on the water. And so there's, there's a distance of, of several miles that they would journey. But it was in this village that was near to the place where Jesus had grown up that there was a wedding feast. And so a wedding took place and Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, a wedding in those days was quite different than what we would know as a wedding today, even though, of course, we think of the celebratory aspects of a wedding and all the the wonderful things that accompany a wedding. Friends and family and food and fun and all of those kinds of things. Uh, We do that today, but we do that today normally in one day or sometimes in, you know, eight hours or whatever. But at this time, this could last for an entire week. So they really got serious about this. A wedding was sort of like a honeymoon, a family reunion, a wedding shower, and a bachelor party all rolled into one. So it was kind of all of those different things. All the family would be there, so there's the family reunion, and then there would be gifts and things brought for the bride, and the groom would have all of his best friends there with him. And so this was the atmosphere that Jesus came into, but there is a problem that arises. And so what is the problem? When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, 
the Middle Eastern culture, one of the big features of Middle Eastern culture is hospitality. And that is an expectation. So if you fail in the area of hospitality, this is just not a good thing in that culture. So so this is a bit of a crisis here for the bridegroom, that, that the wine has failed. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, she comes to him with this issue. And his response is, woman, why do you involve me? It's, it's really more literally, why are you involving us? What, what are you doing here? Now, think about it. 30 years have passed since the birth of Jesus. We know that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So 30 years have passed since his birth. Jesus had left Nazareth some months earlier, and now he returns with this group of guys. There's about five of them at this point. And it seems that Mary is recognizing that that something's happening. Now, you can imagine perhaps what it would have been like for Mary knowing what she knew about Jesus, to to be waiting for, in some sense, almost waiting for her own vindication, but to be waiting for the fulfillment of what God had told her. And so Jesus is 30 years old, and it's almost like Mary, it's like, when are we gonna get this going? And so she sees an opportunity. She seizes the moment. Perhaps the time has come for Jesus to reveal his true identity, but Jesus' response to her is one that would also let her know that the relationship that they've had is now transitioning from mother and son to master and disciple. Woman, what does this have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. So Jesus is just letting her know that he's on the time frame that's been set by the father. But then Mary, she says this, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So somehow she, she just has this sense that something's going to happen here. Even though Jesus does give her a little bit of a corrective. Now, just, just to say this, just so we understand. When Jesus said, woman, why do you involve me or why are you involving us? To us, this sounds a little bit disrespectful. He doesn't say, mom, why are you involving me in this? He says, woman. And to us, that sounds like, whoa, that's kind of a sharp tone. But it it doesn't mean the same thing in this context, that, that w- the way we would understand it. It's not a disrespectful 
way of addressing Mary. It's just simply a way of really asserting. It's almost like, you know, when you're 30 years old and your mom is still telling you what to do, you're like, Mom, (laughs) come on. (laughs) So Mary says, whatever he says, you do it. You know, these are the last recorded words of Mary. Whatever he says to you, do it. You think about the unfortunate idolatry that developed around Mary over the centuries. And if we just paused and looked at what the Bible actually says about Mary, it could clear up a ton of stuff. But, but even her last words, people's last words are significant. So what were Mary's last words? Her last words were, do whatever he says. Mary is pointing us to Jesus. Now, verses six through 11. So here we have these water jars, these stone pots, six of them. And they're the kind that are used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So these are These are large containers. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. There's so many things going on in in this little few sentences here. So many things that, that we could look at and and should look at. These ceremonial water pots, there is here something happening. There's kind of a bigger picture of what's going on where there's a contrast between what Judaism had to offer and what Jesus brought. So at the end, Judaism it doesn't offer what the people had expected from it. The people thought, and especially in the day of Jesus, and even today, modern-day Jews who are religious, they think that somehow it's within the the system of Judaism that they're going to find fulfillment, but they don't. It was never intended to fulfill. It It was a temporary measure. So, with Jesus taking these water pots that were used for ceremonial cleansing specifically and performing his first miracle around that, he is, in a way, he's showing his fulfillment, that he is the one who fulfills Judaism and the promises of Judaism, that he supersedes what Judaism was able to offer. Now, John tells us, and this is what we want to really focus on, he tells us 
that this is the first sign. Or this is the first miracle that Jesus did. It's the first miracle, but John specifically uses the word sign, though, versus miracle. It was a miracle, but it was more than a miracle. It was a miracle that was pointing to something else. Now, the first is is the point that we, we want to think about for a moment. There are many myths and legends, and man, in, in the the age of the internet, this stuff is, it's so prolific out there. People, every weird thing that's ever been said throughout history about Jesus, that's the stuff people find on the internet. You know, we get this question on pastor's perspective all the time. Um, What was the name of Adam's first wife? (laughs) It's like, Well, let's read in the Bible. Adam only had one wife, as far as we could tell. Her name was Eve. Oh, but what about Lilith? (laughs) Lilith. So this this comes from some 500-year-old or or more rabbinical myth. But man, somebody stuck it on the internet. Now everybody thinks Adam had a wife named Lilith. And likewise, these myths and legends that, that rose up around Jesus over long, long centuries, people are talking about these things today. Myths and legends about Jesus performing miracles as a child, for example. One such myth says that Jesus, as a boy, traveled to Britannia, traveled to Britain with Joseph of Arimathea, And there he performed various miracles. So it didn't take the age of the internet for that to to get disseminated. William Blake, in his wonderful poem that is sometimes called Jerusalem, although he didn't name it that, he has these lines and they're based on this idea. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy lamb of God on England's pleasant pasture seen? As much as I love this poem, the answer is no. (laughs) No, he did not. (laughs) These are the kinds of myths. And John, if we just would read the Bible, we would know that Jesus as a boy did not go around healing his friends who were sick or patching up the wings of a little sparrow that had a broken wing or raise the neighbor kid from the dead or any of those kinds of things. No, this is the first miracle that Jesus performed. And it is an interesting one. He turned water into wine. Now, there are some Christians who don't like this miracle for probably obvious reasons. No, it wasn't really wine. He turned it into, well, it was grape juice in the end. Jesus turned the water into wine. There have been attempts, though, by some to sort of 
contradict the obvious and to say, well, it, you know, it wasn't wine like we think of it today and, and so on and so forth. But I want to quote to you from J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle was uh, the Bishop of Liverpool who lived in the late 1800s through the sort of the mid 20th century, highly respected, renowned biblical expositor. And, and I'm, I'm quoting J.C. Ryle because some would say that because I, I hold a different position, some would say, oh, you know, branch has been influenced by these modern thinkers and so forth. So J.C. Ryle is not a modern thinker per se, and he is highly respected among all evangelical expositors. Listen to what he said. He said, it seems utterly impossible on any fair and honest interpretation to reconcile the passage before us with the leading principles of what is commonly called teetotalism, which we sometimes, a few people use that word today still, but the idea is total abstinence from any alcoholic beverage. So Ryle goes on, he says, if our Lord Jesus Christ actually worked a miracle to supply wine at a marriage feast, it seems to me impossible by any ingenuity to prove that drinking wine is sinful. Temperance or moderation in all things is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Total abstinence from alcoholic beverages might be for some necessary, but to say as many do that to drink any alcoholic beverage at all is a sin is taking up ground that cannot be maintained in the face of the passage before us without twisting the plain meaning of Scripture. So it is not my point to preach on this subject today, but it's right here in the text. And I still hear over and over again, you know, people insisting, and it's hard to get around the reality that Jesus turned water into wine. And it was real wine. And notice, even the host, he, he implies that. What does he say? He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper after when the guests have had too much to drink. Why? Because they won't notice because they got a little buzz at the wedding feast. But again, that's not my point. But I think sometimes... We just need to address what's right there in the text. Now, also something that I think is interesting. So there, there's, again, there's so many things here. I just want to touch on a few, but then we'll get to our main point. But the method of the miracle is really interesting because there is no, I mean, nobody even knows a miracle is taking place. Jesus, he doesn't give any sort of a command. He doesn't say a prayer over it, he simply wills the change and it takes place. For the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Basic Christianity by John Stott. What did Jesus come to do? 
And in what ways does that make Christianity unique? Does it matter if the claim that Jesus rose from the dead a historical fact or not? And what's wrong with believing that Jesus was simply a great teacher? In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott answers those questions and many more that are fundamental to the Christian faith and any genuine inquiry into understanding the historical Jesus. Ever since Jesus lived, he's been largely misunderstood by both religious and secular groups alike. But understanding who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he claimed are relevant for all people regardless of their current beliefs. If you're a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basics of the Christian faith. If you're not a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basic beliefs of millions in our global culture. If you want to know more about the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Basic Christianity by John Stott. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.